This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Trisha. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Paddy and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventures in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style. Welcome to the 74th Annual Hunger Games! Hello, welcome to Half Measures. I'm joined by a man who looks somewhat ashamed to host this podcast with me right now. It's Dan Whiting. Kia ora, Dan. How are things over in District 12? District 12, things are pumping. Uh, we have found a few tributes around the place. Um, look, they're, they're all clambering to be the chosen one, but no, things are well. How about you, Paul? You've been on holiday. You've been living it up large. I know. You know, there's a, every once in a while you need to get out the studio and go out and do some real things. So, um, took a holiday down south, uh, saw some, saw some, saw some snow down in Queenstown. Had a great time, and I'm back full of energy. It's good. I imagine you've probably watched a lot, having been, you know, been on holiday, and between all those uh, great adventures you've been having around New Zealand. Well, you would think so. I have got a couple of things, but maybe not as much. But um, my energy levels are high. I do feel pumped to talk about a couple of things that I've watched. Uh, and look, I'm, I apologize. I couldn't resist when I saw it was episode 74. It always makes me think of Stanley Tucci and the 74th Annual Hunger Games. I just love that intro. I know your passion for the Hunger Games. It's it's noted. It's renewed. Cool. Well, shall I jump into what I've been watching? Please, Dan. What have you got for me? All right. Well... Once again, I've been to the movies. You know, I'm, I'm keeping the I'm keeping the industry alive. I'm keeping the theaters active. So I have been to see Marvel's latest movie, Black Widow. So the latest movie in the Marvel lineup. And you know what? There's a lot of reviews out about this al- already, and they're they're pretty on point. So basically, the the Black Widow movie is basically a bit of a a bit of a, a backstory about uh, Black Widow. It's set before the um, latest sort of movies around Infinity War, um, and you know it's it's unfortunate. Like it, this isn't this is an okay Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a great watch when it's free on Disney Plus. Um, but it's a it's a movie that kind of so it goes into a little bit of. Uh, Natasha's backstory with her family and and her sister and how she became um, Black Widow, but it's what kind of weighs this story down is the fact that we already know what happens to the Black Widow because of the, you know the 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 big Marvel movies around in, in Infinity War in particular, mm. and you can't it kind of overshadows the whole thing the whole time because you kind of, it's kind of like 
yeah, interesting, but we've kind of moved on with the universe. And so it kind of becomes just this film where I think if they'd, if they'd put this out, I don't know, four years ago, it probably would have been a really awesome movie. There's also been heaps of really great uh, Russian spy movies, like we've talked about Anna here on the podcast as a, mm. you know, a fantastic uh movie a, a sort of a, a similar concept and that this is this is much more marvel than that sort of movie is but it, yeah unfortunately it doesn't quite hit sort of the the big leagues of 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 the marvel universe that we're used to but in saying that if you're a black widow fan like you're definitely going to enjoy it it's by no means uh like a terrible movie it's not boring it's actually got lots of laughs in it i think just in terms of connecting to the the wider marvel universe kind of missed the boat a little bit for me Oh, that is a shame. And I was just looking at the cast. There's heaps of great support casts like David Harbour, Ray Winstone, Olga Kurlenko, Rachel Wise, William Hurt. I mean, there's heaps of awesome support. What I'm most curious about, Dan, is the uh, when you said we know what happens, so the prequel's not working. I'm thinking my obvious uh, go-to is Star Wars. And I'm thinking about how much we enjoyed the prequels, even though we knew what was going to happen to Anakin and whatever. What's the, what is the, is, is it because it's too soon and you need this movie in like 10 years time? Or like you said, you needed it four years ago. Um, look, I, I know that you're not quite in on the Marvel journey and I'm just going to, I'm just going to drop this big spoiler. Oh, here it comes. Um, and so basically Black Widow dies in Infinity War. Right. And so, so this movie now is, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of be emotionally invested in it because the impact of this movie, like there's stuff that happens in this movie that will impact the wider Marvel universe, but not necessarily for Black Widow, unless they end up kind of like changing, changing some things up. And, you know, no one's ever really dead, to be honest, in any sort of comic book universe. So, so who knows there, but it's, I think that kind of weighed over the film. Whereas I think if we'd watched this movie, uh, before Infinity War, particularly, it would have been like, oh wow, that's a really cool sort of like you know backstory. It's the everyone's wanted a Black Widow movie for a long time, and you know it was good to finally get one. And as you say, it's got a fantastic cast, and I I, I kind of liked what they were trying to do with it. It just kind of lacked some of the the punch and the meaning that we've got from some of the the other films. I did make a promise to you a while ago that I was going to go on a Marvel journey and watch some of those key movies to catch up, and I still haven't done it. But I feel okay because you haven't gone on your Star Trek The Next Generation journey. But um, I like what you said. No one's ever really gone. I've heard that line before. And um, I'm sure they'll find a way of working her character back into some other sequel or, or spinoff or something. Well, I think that the great thing about this movie is that it really sort of this, this movie really sets up her sister to take over uh, the kind of Black Widow mantle, and so there's all sorts of opportunities and possibilities that they hint to, particularly in the in the post credit scene. But um, just talking about Star Trek and not watching Marvel movies, maybe we should rename this podcast to Broken Promises instead of uh, <laughs> <laughs> Measures. I think it works. I think it does work. The number of times I've said to you, "Oh, I'll watch that," and I don't, you know. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So yeah, that's the that's the first thing I've been watching. I think definitely once um once it drops for everyone to watch on Disney Plus, get amongst it. And if you're a Marvel fan, you've probably already checked it out. Um, but yeah, it's it's okay. Cool. S speaking of Marvel, 
Um, I've finally caught up with all of the Loki TV series. So this was only uh, six episodes in total. And so I kind of stopped watching after episode two and decided to kind of build them up and um, get the final final four all together. And I'm really glad I did because the, the first couple I was, you know, I was, yeah, these, these are all right. Um, I'm not quite sure where this is all going. Is this the first show that's not really for me? But I'll tell you, Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed this this series. This is another smash hit for Disney, uh, smash hit for Marvel. And what was really great in the post credit scenes is they dropped uh, Loki will be back for season two. And that's really awesome because they, they haven't sort of made that commitment with their other um, Marvel series at all. You know, like there's potentially we might get more Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but we're, we're probably not going to get any more WandaVision. Mm. So... Now, this is a, a really good series. They've got a really good story. It's it's quite a sort of complex but fun timeline. The whole Loki universe introduces the, the multiverse, so basically different versions of characters, different timelines crossing over. It's really smart and clever the way they do it, and this is a probably a good example of you know, Black Widow could be back through the multiverse. And the whole premise of the show is changing timelines and jumping back and forth in time. So nothing is off the table now. Interesting. I love how they've committed to season two. And I guess with Disney, money's not an issue. So they can do that whenever they want. And I wonder what I wonder what factors they take into account when they do that, like they have here and they haven't for WandaVision. Because from the outside looking in, I've heard way, way more about WandaVision and way more excitement and hype, it felt like, than I have about Loki. And yet, as you say, Loki's the one that's got the second season. So that's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, I think, you know, what's, I guess, interesting about it is, so WandaVision, for example, we know that we're going to get a, a movie with WandaVision and, um, and Doctor Strange. So potentially uh, another TV series for her might look quite different so maybe it's not so much a, a part two of WandaVision but it's a she could get another TV series in a down a different path or a different sort of uh, banner over the top of it but yeah look this is this is a good show um, if you haven't checked this one out definitely get amongst it I love the twists and turns they've introduced a, a new big bad for some of the future Marvel Marvel movies so get amongst I love how you're so up to date and like word on the street kind of guy because IMDb have in the top right hand corner they have their popularity thing for every TV show and movie they do they don't go from one to a thousand. Uh, Black Widow is the number one popular movie and Loki is the number one popular TV show. So you're you're current. You're real current. I'm going to bring us down, of course, but you know you're current. As my uh, my dad likes to say, Paul, we're not here to f spiders. You know, he's like, we've got to get down to business. We're, we're doing stuff. We're not mucking around. He's uh, old school. Very old. A um, couple of other things. Uh, so I've also watched um, a, a Netflix series, which has been on my list for a long time. And I, I, I finally sort of hit go on it called Love, Death and Robots. And so this is a... A really sort of unique series and so there's two seasons of it out now and it's this really awesome collection of short stories and they they have the theme of love death and robots and they're all they're all sort of told in different ways they're animated in different ways they're some of the stories are you know five minutes long some of them are 18 minutes long mm. and 
you know, I kind of came into it being like, is this going to be for me? Am I interested? But I, I had a blast watching this show. And, you know, n- not every single one of the episodes did it for me, but probably at least about 10 of them really hit it out of the park for me. And it, it really kind of impressed me with how much of a, a quality story that they can tell and sort of a, a short kind of soundbite, like, you know, getting your, getting people sort of emotionally invested in a eight-minute story is a is a real work of art. It's got a whole bunch of great stars in it from other TV shows that we watch. It's it's just a, a really good time. It's And it's also one of those great, um, I guess, palate cleansers or watch on the train or public transport type things because you're literally like, I can watch an episode for eight minutes and I'm done. So this is a, a highly recommended from me. And really good quality. I was just watching the, the trailer play as you were talking, really, really unique, great quality animation, very different, very different. And Tim Miller, the guy, he, he's the director of the Terminator Dark Fate and he did, what else did he do? He did a couple of other things. Oh, Deadpool, that's right. He's done a few things. So awesome. Yeah, no, look, it's it's a lot of fun. Like you could... In my mind, I was kind of thinking the way that a piece of work like this gets commissioned is they probably get a bunch of creatives around the room and they're like, all right, you can all tell your story, go away and work out how to do it. And the way that it all just comes together, like none of the stories are are connected, but they're, they've, they all run with the same theme running through them. So, yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. And that's probably where I'm going to leave it for today. How about yourself, Paul? What have you been watching? I've got a few things, as I said, you know, had a holiday, but still managed to watch a few things. I watched um, the first season of a HBO Max show called Starstruck, um, which is um, about, so the synopsis is, is a New Zealand millennial played by New Zealand actress Rose Matafeo, uh in London, uh, juggling a couple of jobs and navigating an awkward morning after the night before when she discovers that she accidentally slept with a film star. And so this is just like, it's just six episodes. And honestly, this was such, such a great find. I wasn't sure what to expect when I press play. And now I just, I I cannot wait for the, for the second season to come out. And I would say for me that this is now, this is a standout role for, for Rose Matafeo. It really puts her on the big stage and not, not only is she the main protagonist in this series, but she also wrote it as, as well. So yeah, she really impressed me in this. So just, so this is a, is it a new, a New Zealand-made TV show, or is it? No. So this no, th- right. this is um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I I am presuming British-made, but it's HBO Max, so who knows? It's set in London, um, and but she, as the New Zealander on the on the OE, you know, is the the, the main protagonist. So I don't know. It's in New Zealand. It's on TVNZ on demand. I saw in the UK. Apparently, it's on BBC iPlayer, and it's HBO Max North America, and I guess most most other places. But uh. Yeah, it's it's just a real. Like she's got this real authentic kind of um, like comedy in her acting. It's a very natural. Her character's really likable, and I I would I would go as far as saying it's probably the the best or the funniest romantic comedy TV series I think I've I've seen. Um, it had all the all the right ingredients that you'd want, but that for me the extra special ingredient is that that added New Zealand humour which always works so well, I think, when it's set, when you've got a New Zealander set in a, in a foreign city. So if you think about like 
you know, fl- flight of the Concords uh, with the New Zealand humour in the States. Here we have the New Zealand humour set in, in in central London, and it's kind of got a Notting Hill sort of vibe about it. But yeah, mixed in with the kind of humour that we talked about in Creamery, um, you know, which we reviewed a couple of months ago. It's um, it's a good balance of, of romance and comedy. It's, there's no not too many not too many cliches, you know, it's, it sort of doesn't rely on any of that. It's just great writing and um, it's definitely a recommendation. It sounds really interesting and I think, you know, I love a good little six-episode uh, TV show, like something to sort of easily digest in a, a night or two. It sounds interesting. Um, and I, I love that sort of Kiwi twist to it because that, that is the the journey of, of so many New Zealanders head over to London to do their OE and, you know, who knows what happens when you're out of the – when you've been this far from the Shire, exactly right. Yeah, no, it's um, it's directed by Karen Main. It's got a good support cast: Nikesh Patel, even Minnie Driver shows up, who I haven't seen in years. Um, but Rose Matafeo is, is the star here, and for me, I guess I, I haven't seen much of her other than when I've sort of seen her on uh, stand-up comedies or shows like uh, um, Seven Days. You know, the New Zealand comedy TV shows that only air in New Zealand. I haven't really seen her outside of that, so it was a real eye-opener. Uh, the second thing, I know I said the other, you know, just a few minutes ago that I don't take recommendations to you. We talked about Broken Promises. Well, I did take on Black Summer. So I finished season one of Black Summer. Uh, this is the, the zombie, the zombie show, uh, the dark early days of a zombie apocalypse, uh, strangers banding together to survive. There, there are a number of things that I think this show could probably learn from The Walking Dead to do better but there are a heap of things that i really really like about this show that i think they do better than the walking dead and i want to start there because i think more than anything this show has made me terrified of zombies again and i think i think that's how it should be right um and so when you described to me because i know you watched obviously the first season a while ago and you talked about how fast the zombies were i wasn't convinced by what you were putting down if i'm honest with you then i didn't think it didn't seem realistic enough to me which is a pretty stupid thing to say about a fictitious you know being but I think I've got so used to zombies lumbering around and being basically really easily avoidable in The Walking Dead that after 11 years of that, that was my norm. And so to see them in this was really refreshing because these things are super fast and they are strong as an ox and it just gave it a whole different dynamic. That pilot episode, that first episode with the with all the different strangers in the, in the, these different situations, each one with their own problem or being chased or a car or, or, or whatever. And then it cleverly knits them all together by having each sort of sub story. You could see in the background, something going on so that you could see someone randomly getting knocked over by a car in the background for no reason. And then in the next story you're watching, you're seeing the person getting knocked down by the car and the other stories in the background and all those things come together really well. I love it when shows do that. I thought they did it really well and um, yeah, really did get a lot out of it. I think it's, I think you, you're right about the the zombies in there because I think what is terrifying about the Black Summer zombies is how relentless they are yes. in pursuit. And I found myself, and Samara was the same, edge of, edge of our seat the whole time and kind of your heart's racing. And particularly because often 
someone will just sort of recover and then you'll see the the zombie and sort of the the background out of focus but start to move and you're like you got to get moving you got to get moving and just the relentless trying doors to get in like trying to sort of get somewhere safe and just how hard it is and I think it not only you know reinforces the the fear of zombies but kind of reinforces how horrible people are to one another as well yeah no, absolutely right. And the edge of the seat, that relentless is a great word because that's exactly how they are. I also liked the, so we, you know, obviously the timing of the first episode of The Walking Dead, it was the start of the apocalypse, but I just got a feel that the world was still intact more in this, you know, when we had all the fighter jets going over the top. And I, I love that there was still, humanity was possibly still in control at this point, whereas it never felt like that in The Walking Dead. That's not a criticism of Walking Dead. It's just, I enjoyed seeing this angle. Um, and if we go beyond that first episode format, the subsequent format of, of the episodes on from that kind of becomes another strength, um, so long as the story is good. And what I mean by that is, so the, each episode has a very singular, very specific story, and it just never lets up so the guy who was being chased for 40 minutes straight from house to house through fences through gardens he ends up on the roof of the bus at one point uh as you said just relentless and it feels to me so real like in terms of that intensity of constantly not being able to, to to ever just take a breather just even for a moment but conversely to come back to that the episode format can then be its downfall. Uh, so, like the the episode with that underground nightclub thing, I thought that, uh, that I thought that was terrible. I just didn't buy into that sort of thing. I think so. That is, I think the the worst episode of all of the show, and it doesn't almost doesn't make sense to me. No. The whole concept of what they're doing down in that nightclub and making drugs and all that, like it just seems like what this feels so out of sync to the universe. And I remember even the the second time watching it, being like, oh god, I hate this episode. It it is so not what Black Summer is about. And it, they don't even do a really good job of actually setting up why and yeah, how they're going it. down there. And I think, yeah, that that's that's a real flaw, that episode. And then because of the episode format, you're then stuck with that for, you know, for 40 minutes with no B story to even sort of sort of enjoy. And um but look, overall, I think like you, I got quite a bit out of this first season. I think my favorite episode was the second one with the car chase and the anxiety and stress of being in that car and then that that ute vehicle sinister you know like i mean utes are sinister enough but um i don't know who owns these things right so this is great and the swearing was really on point the guy driving down the road with the beard he really needed to bump into russell crowe from unhinged with that kind of road rage i would love to have seen how those two would have gone on um a really interesting first season and um definitely eventually because there's a few things on at the moment we'll get into that second season so uh so yeah good recommendation dan and my final thing before we, before we move go. on what is the thing that you think that show could learn from the walking dead so i think i think the the strength of it and i wonder if it will come through in the second season uh the strength of of the walking dead for me is what i love about the walking dead is the character relationships and the bond that these strangers form as family i haven't got that sense from them basically they're all looking like they're going to knife each other at one point or another there's very very few people i i trust perhaps that's more realistic who knows but there's there's something about the walking dead and if you'll forgive me for quoting a little bit of dom from fast and the furious there's a feeling of family with the walking dead right and i didn't get that with this show and I, that's what i think it needs a bit of 
I think um, you'll, you'll definitely get a bit more of that in season two. So okay. I definitely encourage you to um, keep it high on your list of things to watch, particularly because I think you need some of season one fresh in your mind when watching season two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good question too. Um, and the final thing was also a recommendation from you, Dan, No More Broken Promises, Vice Principles, season one. Um, just just so funny um so the the synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen this one an overprotective father obsessed with becoming becoming a principal competes against the other vice principal however something happens that makes them work together to save the day and this whole series season one i've seen so far um Diana and I watched this together and we were just laughing out loud a whole lot. In fact, I think I enjoyed this even more than The Righteous Gemstones. And the reason I obviously bring that up is not just because of Danny McBride, but because Walton Goggins, who he co-stars with, was obviously in that. They're, they're just a great duo together. I can see why they've worked together on a few different projects. The chemistry between them is just is so natural. And they are basically two kids and i think the analogy that you made previously to stepbrothers is 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 just so accurate because the insults that they throw at each other are often really really childish you know they're supposed to be setting an example to these children at the school but they're basically the the, the biggest spoiled brats in the rooms and oh it's it's just fantastic really really good i wouldn't I would agree that this is – I would probably go um, Eastbound and Down, Vice Principals, and then Righteous Gemstone. Agree. I think I think because Vice Principals feels like the, the cousin of um, Eastbound and Down. Like it's just a, another sort of variation of Kenny Powers living his best life with this cringeworthy sort of confidence. And I think you're right, like, Walter Goggins is – He's so good. He's such a a great actor, and he can he can do so many different roles. And like, I just love it. I love these shows. The episode with the two of them uh, trashing the principal's house, and the way that they're trashing it, just like kids would do. Well, give or take the ending, maybe. But um, the mother-in-law, Walter Goggins' mother-in-law, who speaks no English but obviously hates him. I, I love all of those scenes. The gin episode where they get the principal drunk. My goodness. Um, so yeah, definitely going to go through for season two at some point. Um, and as I think I said, when I reviewed Righteous Gemstones, if you like that Danny McBride, Kenny Powers type inappropriateness, you just, you're right. I don't know why I left it so long to watch this. I'm annoyed at myself. Absolutely, absolutely superb. It's one of those shows too that, you know, you think you're going to watch it and you find it on a platform and then it'll Thanos snap disappear and you won't be able to find it again. So if it is somewhere in your realm, get around it. Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, other than the things we watched together, Dan, that's me. Great times. Oh, you've done well, Paul. You've done well. You've got a lot in considering you've been uh, adventuring. I appreciate that. All right. Shall we move on to the Bad Batch? Okay, so we've got a couple of episodes, uh, still season one, episodes 11 and 12. Uh, Devil's Deal, uh, the first one. Seeds of Rebellion uh, are forming on an outer rim world as the Empire schemes to uh, squash it, uh, followed closely by Rescue on Wyloth, the Batch is tasked with a dangerous mission. I'm putting those two together, Dan. Basically, if I can just say right from the start, 
they didn't put numbers on these episodes. They weren't named, obviously, part one or part two. But that is essentially what it felt like to me. It felt like a two-parter. We had this story. I think it worked really well in that respect, with given the characters that we, we, we revisit here. Those, And I think we've now left those characters. It feels very two-parter, and I, I really enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, look, I think, you know, this was a, another great episode to bring together some characters that we love from Rebels. Um, great to visit the, the planet where Hera grew up. Um, for those people who haven't watched Rebels, so we, we actually spend a lot of time with Hera in uh, the Rebels TV show. She's a, a great pilot. And it's just, it's cool to kind of see the, the Bad Batch expand. And I don't know what it is, Paul, but the penny is really dropped for me with this show and I've gone from mediocre about it to absolutely just loving each episode and I think you know I should have had more faith I, I shouldn't have been the, the doubting pattern one because I've said it before I'll say it again Dave Filoni knows what he's doing if you're a Star Wars fan just get amongst this stuff these shows you know though they sometimes start off a little bit wobbly who's the audience of this it always gets really good and you know we've we've had great episodes here we've we've had the whole crew back together we've had rescues we've had oh, it's it's just good it's good quality I was having this conversation because I agree with you I was having this conversation with someone who's basically saying oh look it's not for me and I was trying to liken the quality of season one Clone Wars or even to a certain extent season one Rebels and saying what we've got here is already a grade above from that and they're just getting started and um, like you you know just the trust in Dave Filoni I love how Disney as well are allowing Dave Filoni to basically commit to to tying together the stories around some of the the more minor characters who already exist specifically in the animated universe. Um, so, you know, in this show already, we've had Captain Rex. We had a young Kanan right at the start. And now we've got a younger hero and a slightly shinier chopper, I guess. Um, I just love the, you know, it would be really easy for them, uh, I, I guess, to animate more well-known characters from the original trilogy given that we're now at the start of the original trilogy era but instead we're getting this two-parter around Hera from Rebels and like you say anyone who's not seen Rebels isn't necessarily going to understand the significance of that character but they're still going to get a really good couple of episodes with a great story around it and I think the story um, you know they're starting to to show more and more pockets of resistance and uh, the birth not of not of the rebel alliance maybe but certainly of this this shared hatred of the the tyranny of palpatine's empire mm. i read an article earlier in the week uh not specifically related to the bad batch but it was talking about how dave filoni and john favreau have actually got some thoughts on how they could potentially repitch the uh the future movies of uh, Force Awakens and, you know, obviously they, they wouldn't use those titles, but they've actually got some some ideas around how they could actually put another version of the the future out there for us. And I, I think the article is a little bit smoke and mirrors because I think Disney wouldn't be so quick to shelve those movies. They're, those are... Those are, are canon now, but I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe some different movies that continue the timeline and maybe sort of give quite a different emphasis um, on what's happening to some of these characters. And I couldn't think of two better people to do this. No, absolutely right. And 
they definitely have their finger on the pulse. They know when an audience is giving a good reaction to something, and that's what that's what they're getting with the Mandalorian. And I think I think you're right. Um, I am. I'm really interested by this repitching the, uh, the the Force Awakens or, or different versions. I'm that's that sounds like a, a bigger conversation for another time. One of the things I wanted to touch on for this episode before I forget the the character of Hauser, the clone that helps out the the batch and goes against um, Crosshair or sorry Scopes to call him by his proper name, um, and just the fact that he's got the chip, but he's he was acting on his conscience. And so I, I started to think, Oh, I wonder if, if, if this could be one, it could be more. And then we see more join his cause. And I'm wondering, is this going to be the storyline, the story act that's going to be how Tarkin and co basically say, right, that's it. No more clones. Cause the, the, the chip isn't working well enough. You know, this whole order mm-hmm. 66. Now people are getting a conscience around things. What do you think? Yeah, I 100% agree. I think, you know, the only reason you would really have a clone army is because you want, you know, you want loyalty and you want them to follow every command. So I think this is this is 100% the, the storyline that will take us there. So, and, and interesting, right, because, interest, like, cause, you know, there's, there's other sort of key clones that, you know, could potentially appear in the Bad Batch. Like, you know, Cody's another good example for mm. me. Mm. Like, is he someone that we're going to see? And and I just feel like anything's on the table. Like, like, we can see anything, Paul. Like, there's nothing, you know, you know we've had uh, Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. We can have whatever we want in these TV shows and Papa Dave will serve it up for us. I cannot believe we got Luke Skywalker in The Mandalorian. Um, but what I did appreciate was having Vanessa Marshall back as well uh, to voice Hera once again, because I wondered when I saw Hera on, come out, I was like, I wonder if they were going to give it to like, you know, cause she's younger, like someone else, but they let her just do a slightly different voice. I thought she did a, a really good uh, sort of younger voice than, that's like a slight accent change um, that was a little bit more pronounced, but I really enjoyed having her back. I also noted the music is starting very subtly to take on a, a similar vibe to the Mandalorian, which is in line with what we were talking about before. I like tying those different shows together without sort of being too John Williamsy about it. But this new Star Wars sound that we're starting to embrace, either that or we're just all being brainwashed by Disney, I don't know. But um on the subject of uh Palpatine I was talking about before, gee I wonder if we might see him in the show. Maybe not like maybe not in the flesh, because why would he be down and dirty with the batch, but maybe he could be on like a recorded broadcast or something. I feel like I feel like there's some big characters who could who could play a part in this uh in the show and we've got who knows how many seasons to go. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't be surprised. I think you know we're not actually getting as much of the empire as we'd we'd often like, right? Mm. Like, and I think you know th- there could potentially be uh, like you know a season that's more heavily focused on what actually happens with the empire and um, how that all kind of comes together and how they start to sort of move away from clones and move more into stormtroopers. But yeah, I, I think just nothing's off the table, and I think you know we we definitely could see uh, an imprint. I think this is all. I think you know, kind of laying the seeds of either padding out the story so it all makes more sense, yep. or giving giving us more and sort of deeper 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 looks into some of these characters that that we want to know the more of the backstory on. Exactly right, and I think 
and it's going to be a big assumption, but I think the Empire is the big draw card. I think seeing the the the, the rebel the rebellion against the Empire start to form together is great, but probably the the big the big wins, the big ticket items, probably the Empire. And they might be, as you say, sort of saving that up for the the later seasons. We will, I guess, have to wait and see. I do wonder whether in this episode, whether Scopes is actually softening up a little bit. And, you know, he's kind of quite aware of his Bad Batch brothers. And I think for someone who is a, a deadly sniper, like he probably could have taken those guys out a, a couple of times now, and he, and he hasn't. So it makes me wonder, obviously, he's he's still loyal to the Empire. The chip is working as planned. But I wonder whether there's something in there that's maybe softening him up a little bit. I disagree, but... Often you're right, and that annoys me. So I won't go too hard on my argument. But I, I actually felt like he missed because he was, he was so jolted by the fact that they, you know, they didn't come out the front door. They were going in a different way, and that I was, he was actually more irked. But I guess, I guess we'll see. He's he's brilliantly. I mean, I know it's Dee Bradley Baker doing all the voices, but I just love that evil sneer he puts into that voice and the look of him and the tattoo. It's um, he's a great character. Good stuff, good stuff. So should we move on to Rick and Morty? Yes, yeah, so we've got a couple of episodes that we've uh, caught up on uh, for season five. Uh, we had uh, <laughs> some of these titles, Then Rick Dependent Spray, <laughs> where Morty decided to use uh, the horse breeding mount, uh, but that created some really awful, mon- awful monsters, which... Um, I don't know how much we need to talk about that. And then a Morty can graffiti. Summer and Morty steal Rick's car to impress a new kid at school whilst Rick and Jerry have a, a guy's night from hell. Uh, you go. I am really surprised at actually how lowly scoring Rick Dependent Spray is. I thought that episode was hilarious. And I actually I actually watched it on a, on a train. And I, I looked over and there's another guy watching it on the train and like just kind of like, you know, laughing away at some of the ridiculous stories. I love just like Dero Morty just getting up to trouble and creating this whole alien race and then trying to pretend he's not involved in it and trying to sort out the problem. I thought this was a great episode. I'm surprised to see that it's only at a 5.7 on IMDb, I, I think I think five point six is is too low. Uh, this is a show that's very rarely below a seven. I probably didn't find myself laughing as it as much. Um, I felt like there was a few recycled pieces in there, or maybe they dare I say it, pushing the limits of the story too far. But um, I just don't know if I was actually maybe I wasn't in the right mood to watch it. But I think I just continuously have become more and more obsessed with jerry and i just like i just find everything about him now just hilarious so like when beth says to him in front of the present jerry we're being bad parents and he just starts pouring glasses of water and the you know it's just the most ridiculous humor but um i think of the two episodes i found a morty can graffiti uh funny i really liked how they they brought in those like those things that were very much like the Cenobites from hellraiser um mm. And um, <laughs> Jerry doing karaoke. They chose the lamest song ever, and yet I can remember enjoying that. Oh yeah, by Yellow. When I, you know, from like Ferris Bueller as a kid. So you know, I'm definitely on a Jerry path here. I think there's a funny uh, meme about like everyone who watches Rick and Morty thinks they're 
um, Rick, but they're all actually Jerry's, like ninety five percent of them. And I, I think this this episode was was great for me as well. I think I love the kind of the the Hellraiser vibes and the fact that they kind of got the energy off like Jerry's lameness, <laughs> and that like lameness can't exist on on its own. It's like a vacuum when it needs. I, I just love that type of humor with Rick and Morty, how they connect together, really just everyday basic stuff and make it funny. Uh, another funny episode. We love the lameness, his delicious lack of awareness. Cringe cannot exist in a vacuum. It needs to be observed. <laughs> it's great. That is great writing. It's uh, uh, I, I feel like um, the, the uh, what's the character's name? Uh, Summer, the, the daughter. I feel like the, the way they're bringing her, and they've clearly, as you've mentioned a few podcasts ago, have just given up on bleeping out any of the swear words. I feel like that's becoming a really effective means for just um, taking it to the to the next level. So, um, yeah. Indeed. And I also love the just some of the long-running jokes, like particularly about uh, Beth being a horse doctor. And just like, you know, it, the horses are giving birth and then like she's back like five minutes later and they're like, well, I thought you were doing that. Like, the horses, it only takes a few minutes, you know, it's <laughs> it's so good. Cool. Shall we move on over to the movie of the week? Indeed. So each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. We post that movie a week in advance in our Discord community. Uh, you can join that by clicking on the link in the show notes on your podcast. And then seven days later on this podcast, we review the movie. And here we are, Dan, to review Escape from Pretoria. So this is based on the real-life prison break of two political captives. Escape from Pretoria is a race-against-time thriller set amongst the tumultuous apartheid days of South Africa, starring uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Daniel Weber. I really enjoyed this movie, Dan. I really, really loved it. I found it so, I was so drawn in. What you were talking about with um, with Black Summer, as you said, I found myself just like that, never bored, never looking at my phone. Um, it was hard. It's going to be hard to not talk, you know, spoilers. So, you know, look away now if you don't want to know the score. But I just, I feel like this movie combines two things that I just love, a prison escape movie and a movie based on a true story the the true story are always the best i swear that this is how i've been educated about most things in the world through movies um so let's hope they're accurate and prison escapes i cannot explain why i just love them so much this is this is why i had escape plan on my uh top top three peak performance for sylvester stallone that's how much i love them this was this was so good dan uh i yeah what about you before i go any further yeah, it actually reminded me a bit more of a, obviously it's not set in modern day, but it reminded me of a more modern day Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. type experience where, uh, you know, what was interesting about this film is I didn't really know, I, to be honest with you, when you you put this movie up, I knew nothing about it. I hadn't watched the trailer. I just thought, all right, let's give this a crack. And what was interesting about it is the movie kind of quite, you know, within the first few minutes, basically our, our main characters are off to prison and then the the terrible time they have basically trying to es- escape. And I'm with you. It was a, a pretty gripping watch. And, you know, sometimes when you go into these things and you're not too sure, it can go either way. But th- this this was a good movie. I think the... 
the one thing I sometimes struggle with with uh, Daniel Radcliffe is I actually think he's a fantastic actor, but he's so he's just Harry Potter for me, yep. and I it, it's so hard for me to see past the Harry Potterness. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I. I really enjoy him as an actor. I have this issue every time for the first two or three minutes. I'm like, oh, it's Harry Potter. It's Harry Potter in space. It's Harry Potter on a motorbike. Or in this case, it's Harry Potter in prison. But I, and, you know, I'm I'm convinced at that point that I won't be able to disassociate him. But after a couple of minutes, I'm, I'm over it. Having him wear glasses probably doesn't help. But of course, they they want to be true to to the to the the character well not the character to to the to the guy himself Tim Jenkins um, his South African accent wasn't perhaps the best I've ever heard but it was passable and his performance overall more than made up for that and as as too with Daniel Weber he I thought he was really good as uh, Stephen Lee um, I thought I I've I've seen him a couple of times I saw him as Lee Harvey Oswald in. Uh, 11 22 63 he was in punisher i thought the two of them together fun fact then tim jenkins who is portrayed by daniel radcliffe in this movie and whose story and book this is based on he has a an uncredited cameo as one of the prisoners in the movie and i i I love that sort of thing i think what always and this is really a bit of a naive statement i guess is one thing I hate about these sorts of movies, and it's nothing to do with the movie, is how shit the human race is to one mm. another. And it's always just sort of a, a bleak reminder. And like, I think what's really un- like hard about these movies is that we're not talking 100 years ago. We're talking within our, our lifetime. This was the world that, you know, people were sort of fighting to create. And, you know, when you look around the world, we're, we're still not really that much better. Um, and I think that sometimes the the sort of darker, more heavy, depressing sort of side of these things. But at the same time, without movies like this, without people telling their story, without people doing these types of things, we we wouldn't be getting the change that's needed. Yeah, I, I entirely agree. And it just it added to the um, to the intensity of of wanting them to escape because of how you saw them being treated, and because of what they were fighting for. I mean, when I watch a prison movie. You know, I just, I just generally want them to escape because that's what I want to see happen. But in this in this case, you really want them to. And because I'm so uncultured and so uneducated, I, I had no idea if these guys made it out alive or anything. So that last 15 minutes where they were actually breaking out of the final walls and then, you know, walking down the street was stressful as hell. So um, the stress was very, very real. It was really well directed. Um, the, the really important moments... Uh, and like every time they were turning wooden keys to the to breaking point in these metal locks, I was like I was like holding my head in my hands with absolute anguish on the couch. It was uh, it was real really well done. Francis Anand was the director. Uh, pretty much his first time directing a major movie, from what I can see on IMDb, and I thought he did a a brilliant job. I give it all the guns then. Yeah, look, I, I would give it a, I'd give it all, all the guns as well. Actually, it was a, a pleasant surprise, a lot of tension, a lot of edgy seat stuff. Um, it, it's a good watch, and it like it only came out a year ago. And to be honest, if you hadn't of said anything to me about it, I would have not known a, a single thing about this movie. It's available in New Zealand uh, here on Neon, and it's an hour and forty six. It's it's such an easy watch. Mm, very cool. 
All right, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Let's go. What have we got this week? All right, we've got a little bit of stuff here. So we talked about previously how HBO is working on The Last of Us TV show, which is going to be a real hot property for them. It's obviously a a PlayStation game. Stars, um, you know, a a couple of of big names, um, a couple of fans um, of the show, like the Mandalorian, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be heading that up. Right. And anyway, HBO has come out and said that each episode of this TV show is going to cost about $10 million. What? That is more than the social media manager gets paid in a lifetime. That, that is, that is a fact. How, how can they possibly make a profit on these things? I don't understand the economics of it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Like, I guess there's, you know, this is a, a post-apocalyptic TV show. There's uh, all sorts of zombies and zombies isn't the right word, but, you know, there's all sorts of different um, creatures and affected people um, in this universe. So, yeah, it'll be interesting, but that that's a, a huge budget. Like, uh, you surely you'd struggle to spend it, but um, mm. who knows? But either way, I think what this does say is that HBO is really putting their all behind this TV show. Um, they're really looking to probably deliver this for the next sort of several years, and you know they've already started production, which is is awesome. I'm looking forward to to watching this one. Awesome. Uh, another bit of news we've also talked about previously is the John Wick spin-off, The Continental, is now going to be a, a limited series as opposed to a, an ongoing series. And so what that means is it's actually going to be three 90-minute specials um, with, a, a again, talking about money, a, a budget that rivals some movies. So they've got $20 million to, to create these. Um, well, actually, that is a lot and not a lot at the same time, but I guess in the – um, you know, as a special, that, that that probably is is quite a bit of money. So yeah, that's um, good. I think hopefully maybe a a tighter and more limited series could could be interested. Should be a fun time. Real. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, there's been um, a little bit of rumours around the internet of late, um, and particularly some data mining that's been happening with Netflix that could suggest that there's going to be a partnership between. Um, PlayStation and Netflix and with Netflix potentially looking at sort of moving into um, game streaming and stuff as well so you'll jump on you'll watch your favorite movie then you might jump on and uh, play some Last of Us or Ghost of Tsushima or who knows interesting option I saw that myself um, and I thought they used the word confirmed that they are going to be dropping like games for free Um, that's so that's just a yeah. worry for <laughs> the kids on the TV, another game. I think that the game side of it is definitely confirmed. I oh, think yeah. it's more who and how okay. is probably the, okay. the, the question and, and what they can kind of offer up in that space, but should be interesting. Um, here's a, God, it's all about the money this week. James Gandolfini was once paid $3 million to not become the new boss in the office after Michael Scott's departure. So HBO didn't want him to take on that role, and so they paid him $3 million not to do it. Well, I'll tell you what, Dan, I would have said no to that role for just the just mill. <laughs> wow. Indeed, indeed. What what a life, you know. Three mil. Crazy. <laughs> Three Crazy. mil to say no. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And final bit of news. So the next Star Trek movie, I, I love saying things that trigger you, but <laughs> the next... 
<laughs> the next Star Trek movie will be helmed by the WandaVision director, um, Matt Shackman. I did see that as well. And that's having not seen WandaVision, obviously I can't gauge anything. But as I was saying before, I've heard lots of good things about it. So that's quite exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. So that's all that's on my news desk. Anything from your end? Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, so just a couple of trailers came out this week that looked pretty good. The Walking Dead Season 11 uh, teaser. That was uh, a nice little watch. Certainly whets the appetite for the... And I see they're, they're splitting it into three trilogies. So the first part is this year and then parts two and three next year. Have you said that before, Dan, have you? No, no, I'm just rolling my eyes at General just walking dead. Oh. Like, just like, we're doing three trilogies, then we do another shot of Daryl in his jacket with wings on the back. <laughs> Even talking about the Walking Dead trailer brings out the best in you. It's, it's amazing. Um, what was the other one? Oh, the uh, new film from Ridley Scott uh, starring Jodie Comer from uh, Killing Eve, uh, Adam Driver, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck back together for the first time since Goodwill Hunting um, called The Last Jewel. That looks pretty cool as well. Uh, we had the uh, the Emmys, uh, not the Emmys, the Emmy nominations. And we had The Mandalorian and The Crown, both with the most uh, nominations for shows. Two shows definitely worthy of, of winning quite a few awards, I would say. And the oh the other thing I heard uh, Antonio Banderas has now joined the Indiana Jones five cast so um, there's that cast is coming along quite nicely you've got obviously Harrison Ford Phoebe Waller Bridge Mads Mikkelsen Antonio Banderas and also uh, Toby Jones from the Detectorists so there's a there's a real mix in there for sure and that is all I have on the on the news desk myself. Cool. What's in the mailbag this week? Well, let's start the mailbag off with a bit of a bang. We do have a couple of big guns in our mailbag this week, which is always cool. Firstly, Chris Mackay, uh, the director of The Tomorrow War, uh, the Lego movies. He started following us after seeing our review of Tomorrow War on Instagram. So that's pretty cool. That puts us one step away from Chris Pratt. And our season seven review of Bosch that got shared on Twitter by Dewan Johnson, uh, who plays uh, Detective Rondell Pierce on Bosch, um, and also on Instagram by the writer of the series and all the novels, Michael Connolly, who created Bosch. I really enjoyed that myself, given that I declared, what did I say? It was my favorite US cop drama of all time. That was so that was pretty cool. And also Dan, Bosch himself. Titus Welliver, a.k.a. Detective Harry Bosch, shared our review on Twitter. And so that's that's awesome. That's direct contact with Harry Bosch. So I think we're essentially friends now, right? I think that's great because, you know, in, in Bosch, the TV show, Bosch, I feel like, is, is not really computer friendly. He's not, you know, I imagine he probably hates his phone. And, you know, just, just to think of Bosch actually liking you know, one of our posts or it's, it's such a, a milestone achievement. It's, it's like a John Dutton, absolutely no interest in technology whatsoever. There's no way that Bosch would be on a phone. And so for Titus Welliver to, to be sharing us on Twitter, that's, that was awesome. So I really enjoyed that. And was that all? Oh, so of course, peak performance. So our last one we had was James Mangold. Um, and we had a few responses to this. We had Nat from Wellington who went with Logan 
and an honourable mention uh, for 310 to Yuma. We had Shane Bingham from Los Angeles, uh, who is a fan of Kate and Leopold, which was another James Mangold film with Hugh Jackman that isn't perhaps as famous as the others. Uh, our favourite Scott, Bruce Gray, uh, went with Identity, um, adding that he never saw the twists coming because he got so caught up in the suspense. Jason from Wellington also went with Identity, and Paddy from Time Travelling Tink Podcast went with Identity, 310 to Yuma and Logan. Then that is three independent mentions of identity. And if we get three independent mentions, that triggers a rewatch clause in our contract that you and I have written into there so that we have to go and, and rewatch identity at some point. So, uh, so yeah, that's the mailbag this week. It makes me think, Paul, I'm just going to do a bit of live planning on the pod. Often when people write in and tell us their their favourite, they, they narrow it down to one. And I liked how you just said before, this is their peak performance and maybe an honourable mention. Mm. I wonder whether we should evolve our three, two, one into this is the one and this is our honourable, just to really like sharpen up the choice. Because sometimes threes, you know, quite a, a wide kind of catch-all. What do you, what do you reckon? I think... My my head tells me you're absolutely right. My heart tells me I don't know how. Like if you come up with, I I don't know who who haven't we done? I I don't know. It's just there's so many people. I'm like always hard to get it down to one to 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 to, to, to three. Two's going to be hard. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, you know, obviously the three two one was something we adopted uh, from from Paddy. So. It's it, we're always iterating, you know. That's something that you and I are famous always for. Always evolving. Mm. You know what? If, if it's you know, because I think sometimes you know, there's there's some there's some great choices out there, but they don't always have a huge back catalogue. It might allow us to actually pick a few more great actors and actresses. Okay, I I second the motion. I endorse it. I guess if you want to send that up to the producers, we'll get a decision. And that, listeners, is how the Half Measures podcast <laughs> works. A little little peek behind the curtain. Exactly right. All right. Shall we uh, head on over? Speaking of peak performances, shall we go and do one of those as well? Yes, indeed. So each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose our peak performance for an actor and an honourable mention as well. Uh, and see, <laughs> change the script on the fly. Uh, and this week, uh, your selection for us, Dan, was the actor J.K. Simmons. And I do have three because that was what the old rules uh, allowed me to do so i'm i'm gonna play by the by those rules and, and give my three you know what i'm going agile and i'm i'm cutting one of my movies so straight away <laughs> and i'm gonna i'm gonna go this is the peak and this is my honorable all right mention. okay okay let's 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 stay in sync let's do it all right so shall i go first you go all right. So, yeah, I think J.K. Simmons is one of those. It's funny, I was talking to someone today about J.K. Simmons, and they're like, who? And then as soon as I showed them a you know, Google search, he's a, he's a photo, they're like, oh, that guy's been in everything. And I think, you know, such a, a well-known face, a well-known voice, but not necessarily a well-known name at times, depending on, mm. I guess, your, your awareness of uh, different different actors. But for me, the, the honourable mention – I'm going to go with his role as, um, as J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies. I think he just plays he plays the perfect angry boss, and I just love how he's always angry at uh, at Spider Man. He's always like, "I want those photos of Spider Man." He's banging his desk, and he's mm. he's 
and uh, the fact that they're actually like looking to bring him back into the into the the Spidey verse is so good. And I just I think he's just got that role down pat. He's got it on lock. But my actual peak performance for uh, J.K. Simmons is for his role in the HBO TV show Oz, which came out in 1997 to 2003. This is, you know, you like a prison show, Paul. Mm. This is the most terrifying prison show you could ever watch. Like, I watched this in the, I don't know, probably in the mid sort of 2000s, 2005, six absolutely addicted to it, absolutely shocked, still scarred by some of the things that happen in this show. And J.K. Simmons plays this character called Vern Schillinger, and he is uh, basically a white supremacist sort of Nazi character in, in prison, and he is freaking terrifying. He does horrible things, but his his performance in here is second to none. This is a amazing prison show, and an amazing role, and I think what's what's great about it, and this sort of speaks to um, JK's talent, is that he can play a role where he's such a villain, but also play a, you know so many roles where he's like you know the love or family dad and Juno or whatever it may be. He's a he's a man of many talents. Amazing. How do I not know about the show? Dean Winters is in it. Ernie Hudson is in it, and what a great what a great uh, synopsis. I love it. I, I'm I'm scared to recommend it though because this is a dark TV show. This is uh, not for the faint-hearted. Mm, interesting. Fifty-six episodes. We'll see. We'll see. Um, what you said about um, his his J. Jonah Jameson character. The thing for me is I love how much he looks like him as well. It, yeah, they sort of give him that moustache, and it's um, great choices. My honourable mention then is uh, is Commissioner Gordon. Uh, and the, the, one of the reasons why I went with that is because I feel like to come into that role after Gary Oldman's Jim Gordon, I mean, who wants to try and follow Gary Oldman? I mean, that is no mean feat at all. And I feel like he had to go in a different direction. And I feel like he sort of nailed that, um, that sort of older comic book hat wearing Gordon look. And I, and I really like his his character's relationship with with Batman it's very reminiscent of some of the animated Batman films and I, I really hope he shows up in the Flash movie because of course we've still got Ben Affleck's Batman in that movie and so I would love to see him or if they do any other um, DC Batman movies I, I'd love to see him show up again my number my number one peak performance my peak performance don't even need to say number one anymore this is where we're at and this is going to be a shocker, I think, for some. I like him as Detective O'Brien in the movie Terminator Genesis. And I th- I think, I hope that this is a role that the nerdy, the really nerdy fans of the Terminator universe will appreciate because this is a continuation of the role that was originally played by Lance Henriksen. Uh, so in the first movie, uh, he was the cop that arrests Carl Reese and he puts him in handcuffs. And then when he sees the bullets are having no effect on Annie, he, he uncuffs him. And A, I really appreciated that they kept that character alive in the sequel. And B, I just thought it was awesome that they made it such a, a substantive role and that uh, J.K. Simmons, I, I feel like he just plays it really well. He has some great, lines back and forth with Schwarzenegger's uh, Guardian Terminator and so it's probably not a role many people would call out for Simmons but I just thought it was a great idea and that 
JK was perfect to play that character like 30 odd years later. And he, he he's like a, I think the other cops just thought he was just this alcoholic, but actually, you know, he's been around since 84 and he'd seen the original Terminator. So he was kind of holding it t- together pretty well. He's one of those guys who'd seen some stuff back in the eighties and now is still on the force. So, um, I really enjoyed that performance. Probably not a popular choice. Uh, a lot of haters on that movie, but I, I love it. That's my peak performance. Great shout, Paul. Um, um, it's a, it's interesting, isn't it? Just doing two, like it sort of feels like you want to see more. But let's give it a whirl, see how it fits. We might be back to three, two, one. If you've got an opinion, let us know. <laughs> you know, I love doing planning on the fly, Dan. You know. Well, I guess that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. And our thanks to Time Travelling Tink Podcast for supporting this week's episode. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you too would like to become a Patreon of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.